You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Four years ago, when Donald Trump was campaigning for the office of President of the United States, he ran on the idea that, as an outsider, he was best suited to clean up corruption in government. And he complained that because of this, All the forces of establishment politics were arrayed against him. While this may have been true during the Republican primaries, it certainly was no longer the truth following his nomination, after which his party fell in line behind him, as if he'd always been their first choice. Politics as usual. However, Trump never gave up his claims that an entrenched bureaucracy was sabotaging him and preventing him from doing the will of his constituents. An odd claim when he and his party held the executive office, the majority in both houses of Congress, and made history with the number of conservative judges they were appointing to federal courts and the Supreme Court. With what looked like a growing dominance over every branch of our government, it seems absurd to complain that his power was being blocked. Nevertheless, every time something leaked from his administration, or whenever one of his own was indicted for the very kind of corruption he had run on rooting out, his supporters blamed it on a so-called deep state, a kind of shadow government, sabotaging their outsider president and limiting what he could do. Soon, Trump himself, already known to favor and amplify conspiracy theories like birtherism, climate change denial, and anti-vaccination claims, began to use the term deep state to describe the nebulous forces he and his supporters claimed were actively foiling him. Unelected deep state operatives who defy the voters to push their own secret agendas are truly a threat to democracy itself. But the term did not originate here. It was originally used to describe those loyal to the secular nationalism of Turkey, who engage in violent resistance to the ruling party of President Tayyip Erdogan. 
while in Turkey it refers to an actual conspiratorial network that did not shrink from murder, in America it's used to refer to any resistance from leakers in their own employ to negative press, none of which is uncommon or conspiratorial. Emails in which career bureaucrats expressed negative opinions of the new president were held up as proof of a plot against him, despite the fact that any new administration has to deal with holdovers from previous administrations who often don't care for the new boss. None of this is proof of conspiracy, but that hasn't stopped the conspiracy mongering during the last four years which has seen the conservative conspiracy machine operated by such organizations as the John Birch Society folding this conspiracy into their already unwieldy conspiratorial view of world politics and history, suggesting this deep state is just the facade of an even deeper state, composed of political think tanks and economic conferences like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, and the Trilateral Commission, and beyond them, influential banking families like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. And if you keep pulling back the curtain, they say, you'll find an even older and more insidious conspiracy, one responsible for all the major political upheavals of the modern age, the Illuminati. This is Historical Blindness. I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. Join me as I peek at the man behind the curtain and see if he really is the wizard many say he is in The Illuminati Illuminated, Part 1, The Order's Origins. Before we move on in the episode, I want to take the time to thank some new patrons on Patreon, Christian and Paul. Thanks so much for your support. Remember, during this time, I've paused monthly patron billing so to get ad-free episodes and a whole back catalog of exclusive content, like the last minisode I released on the mystery surrounding the head and remains of Oliver Cromwell, all you need to do is pay your pledge amount one time. After that, you won't be charged on the first of the month until I resume billing. Also, I've been using some patron support funds to help fund the U.S. Postal Service by buying stamps. Any patrons who never received a sticker or magnet from me, let me know in the comments on this episode which one you'd like, and make sure you have a shipping address on your profile, and I'll mail you something. Soon I may have a new sticker, as I have an artist friend working on a new logo design based on this series on the Illuminati. Any of you who want to help me and my family out during this financial crisis, which has affected us through partial loss of income, can donate at historicalblindness.com. I recently changed that page to include PayPal instead of just Stripe. So more of your donation will get to me, my wife, Shy, and our four-year-old girl, Gemma. Or you can go straight to paypal.me slash Nathan Levi Lloyd. We really appreciate all support. Others who want to support the show can do it by visiting studio.com and using the promo code Rocking Pre-K, R-O-C-K-I-N-G-P-R-E-K, when making a purchase for 15% off one of their audio devices. That promo code should work through September, I believe. Now, on with the episode. 
Welcome to Historical Blindness. I've covered historical conspiracy theories before, including the survival of the Templars in a patron-exclusive minisode, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in a lengthy series, and numerous episodes that address aspects of the false Jewish world conspiracy theory. Perhaps only the last of these could possibly rival the scope of the claims about the Illuminati. And even then, it's unclear that they can be separated. Certainly, Illuminati conspiracy theories contributed to the claims of a worldwide Jewish plot. But there are also claims that it precedes any such plots. Some conspiracists who argue that the Illuminati are bent on the subversion of all governments and the destruction of religion will claim that the Illuminati can be traced all the way back to antiquity, to the sorceress Magi of old, and the Gnostic secret societies within early Christianity that seemed bent on perverting orthodox doctrines. If you don't know what I'm referring to, luckily I did episodes earlier this year about the Zoroastrian Magi and Gnosticism that you can listen to for context. However, to simplify things, I can tell you that the Illuminati, first of all, were very real, and their origins, along with the origins of modern conspiracy theory as we know it, can be traced back to Europe during the Age of Enlightenment in the late 18th century. Because of this, my recent series on the miracles purported to have occurred in Enlightenment France also serves as a perfect backdrop to this series. It's almost like I've been building up to it all year. Also called the Age of Reason, this period, the Enlightenment, is characterized by the spread of the philosophical notions that reason is the key to knowledge and that liberty is a human right. These beliefs led many to rebel against absolute monarchy as a system of government and to throw off the yoke of traditional religion. Thus, we see the revolutions of the American colonies as well as the French Revolution in these years as an organic response to specific grievances as well as a swing toward ideals of freedom and democracy. But this was a time of frightening and sudden change, especially for the more conservative of the era. Many were looking for some simpler explanation of what was behind the violent upsets of established order that they saw transpiring around them. In 1797, almost a decade after the start of the French Revolution, and nearly simultaneously, two books appeared, each written without knowledge of the other, that offered many the explanation for which they yearned. A French Jesuit priest named Abbe Augustin Baruel published his memoirs illustrating the history of Jacobinism, and Scottish professor of natural philosophy John Robeson published his Proofs of a Conspiracy Against All the Religions and Governments of Europe, both of which argued that a theretofore obscure secret society called the Illuminati was the prime mover responsible for the bloody revolution in France. Join me for The Illuminati Illuminated, Part 1, The Order's Origins. 
Maybe it stretches the imagination that these nearly identical theories appeared simultaneously, but it appears they did, much as the theory of evolution occurred separately to both Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace during the same years. But in this case, it is not because the theory was accurate. That is not to say that this secret society was made up, though. Far from it. The Illuminati did exist. And not everything that Barwell and Robeson claimed about their intentions can be dismissed as false. What we know is that the Order of the Illuminati was founded in the university town of Ingolstadt in the Electorate of Bavaria in 1776. Now before that year sends any of you spiraling into conspiracy theories about Illuminist founding fathers in America, let me assure you that in that year it was but a fledgling club, with few members, recruited mostly from among the university student body. There are claims that the Illuminati eventually reached U.S. shores, though, and I'll address those later in part two of this series. At the time of its creation, its originator, a young professor of canon law at the University of Ingolstadt, Adam Weishaupt, who had dreamed up the order before his 30th year, conceived of it as a tool for spreading enlightenment ideals, a remedy for the twin evils of ignorance and superstition that plagued humanity. The idea was to create a network of like-minded men who were in influential positions, such as advisors to sovereign rulers, who could quietly whisper to the leaders of this world, pushing them, and therefore everyone, away from vice and toward virtue, with an eye to remaking the social order according to Republican principles and attaining liberty for all peoples. These appear to have been the order's objectives when Weishaupt first discussed it with friends, back when he was still toying with calling them the Perfectibilists, a name which further indicates his desire for the betterment of the world. However, Weishaupt also believed that those in power would work against these ends, and so his idea was to work in secret, through a society structured like the Freemasons with numerous degrees to keep secrets from all but the innermost circle, but designed more like the Jesuits who centralized power in one man, which would be Weishaupt himself, Rex or King of the Illuminati. An ironic structure, since the group's stated objectives were to do away with such clerical authority and absolute power structures. At first, Slow to spread and with few members of any influence, Weishaupt's endeavor seemed doomed to failure. But then he met Baron Adolf von Nigg, who had some influence in Masonic circles and took an interest in the goals of Weishaupt's Illuminati. It was resolved that, in order to accomplish their goals, they would need to essentially appropriate the existing infrastructure of the Freemasons by presenting Illuminism as the final uppermost degree of Masonry to be attained, at which the true aims of the Freemasons would be revealed. A kind of top-down hostile takeover of continental Freemasonry. This Baron von Nigg set about doing, 
traveling around to lodges throughout Europe and initiating Masons into the Illuminati until the numbers of Weishaupt's order finally began to swell and its reach to spread. According to Abbe Baruel, the conspiracy really started before the organization of the Illuminati, though, with the writings of the philosophes of the French Academy. He argued that Enlightenment thinkers like Voltaire, Rousseau, and Diderot had commenced the plot with their popular writings advocating for reason and progress and denouncing organized religion. Indeed, Baruel had been a vocal critic of the philosophes long before the French Revolution and the formulation of his grand conspiracy theory. Rather than seeing them as proponents of liberty and equality, he believed them to be a band of rabble-rousers fomenting unrest by redefining words like reason and terms like public opinion in an effort to undermine hierarchy and make the will of the populace sovereign, which was tantamount to treason. While most of these thinkers were deists, meaning that rather than espousing a particular religion, they instead arrived at a belief in a creator god based on observation and reason, to Baruel and many other clergy, this was only atheism under a different name. So he saw the destruction of Christianity as part and parcel of the plot of the philosophes, making them quite literally anti-Christ. While Baruel was not the only person to suggest that the philosophes contributed to the revolutionary ideology of the Jacobins and other revolutionary groups in France, indeed this is widely agreed upon, he appears to be the first to suggest that the public politics their philosophy helped bring forth could not have possibly evolved organically from ideas in the zeitgeist, but rather must have been a premeditated ploy thrust upon the public by wicked academics bent on overturning the natural order. Likewise, Robeson was not the only observer at the time or since to suggest the organizational structures and memberships of French Freemasonry might have overlapped or provided a framework for the revolutionary clubs like the Jacobins, but he and Baruel were alone in seeing a concerted and premeditated plot by the Freemasons to manipulate the masses and incite them to revolt, not for the Enlightenment principles they preached, but in reality to achieve their own secret ends. And certainly unique was the addition of the Illuminati as the central command, inspired by the philosophes to transform the world into a place with no order, no law, no religion, insinuating their way like a parasite into the massive lodge system of the Freemasons, and through them playing the public like a puppet. By their reckoning, the Illuminati, through the Freemasons, made real the impious and apocalyptic dreams of the philosophes by overthrowing both church and state toppling altar and throne alike to usher in a new age of chaos and bloodshed. Now for a brief intermission. Hello everyone, I'm Wesley Livesey from the History of the Second World War podcast. 
my podcast is a mostly chronological retelling of the Second World War, starting not with the beginning of the war itself, but instead almost two decades earlier, to try and determine why and how the nations of the world would find themselves in a worldwide conflict just 20 years after the devastation of the First World War. You could find History of the Second World War on all major podcast platforms, or at historyofthesecondworldwar.com. What really happened on the unsinkable Titanic? What made the 1904 St. Louis Marathon the strangest event in Olympic history? Whatever became of missing boy Bobby Dunbar? And who was the child who returned in his place? If these questions interest you, check out the History Uncovered podcast, brought to you by the digital publisher of All That's Interesting. History Uncovered explores the strange and obscure parts of history that you definitely didn't learn about in school. Hosted by the writers and editors of All That's Interesting, the show covers a wide variety of topics, ranging from the forgotten media spectacle of cave explorer Floyd Collins' death, to the disappearance and possible cannibalization of Michael Rockefeller, to the true story that inspired The Exorcist. With more than 100 episodes, you're bound to find that they've covered a topic that's especially interesting to you. And each month, they produce a special History Happy Hour episode, examining recent news in the fields of world history and archaeology, and commemorating important historical anniversaries. Come explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past by listening to History Uncovered, wherever you get your podcasts. Can you set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened? In 1969, 14 black student athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism. We were really protesting our treatment on the field. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Now, back to the show. Much of what Barrowell and Robeson claimed cannot, in good faith, be denied. First, Adam Weishaupt and the like-minded men he initiated into his order were certainly inspired by the Enlightenment ideals of the philosophes and other modern thinkers. Even their name, Illuminati, the illuminated or enlightened ones, seems to be a reflection of their Enlightenment principles. But more than this, their practices and stated goals were not as innocent as many apologists and debunkers often suggest in their efforts to discredit Barrowell and Robeson's theories. The fact of the matter is that the public was eventually made privy to the innermost secret intentions of the Order of the Illuminati. In 1785, Charles Theodore, the Elector of Bavaria, concerned about the power wielded by secret societies, whose memberships included many influential persons, outlawed all such orders. It was not long before the Illuminati came to his attention. According to Barwell, this transpired because a high-ranking member happened to be struck by lightning 
and on his smoking body were found numerous papers and communiques that revealed the Illuminati and their plans. This story of Baruel's isn't supported anywhere else, though, and could well be fiction. Regardless, it is clear that once the Elector began his campaign against secret societies, some low-ranking members betrayed the Order out of resentment for never being raised to higher degrees, and soon raids were being conducted on members of Weishaupt's inner circle. It wasn't long before their papers were being published for all of Bavaria to read, and rather than revealing that they were just an idealistic group innocently promoting egalitarian ideals, they showed that they really were nefarious and deserved to be suppressed. Among the lower order members, they may have represented their aims as being this innocuous, to serve as a positive influence on mankind, especially to those in power, to encourage benevolence and discourage fanaticism. But among the inner circle, they emphasized a further end of establishing a world that had no need for monarchs and magistrates, princes and priests. While to many today this still seems a noble goal, the very fact that they kept their true objectives a secret, even from their underlings, goes to show that they were an untrustworthy group. Indeed, their papers show that they did not shrink from recommending criminal acts to seize power for their cause, like having members who were close to government officials steal and copy their seals in order to facilitate forgery. Their lofty ideals were tarnished by the very fact that they believed they could only be realized through manipulation and deceit. Believing that they knew better than the people what the people needed turned their democratic crusade into a plot for authoritarian control. Thus, in 1785, four years before the French Revolution, the Order of the Illuminati was crushed, and Weishaupt and his lieutenants found themselves exiled. This turn of events serves as the central evidence against Baruel and Robeson's theses. The Illuminati had been shut down, its leaders scattered and forced into retirement, long before the events attributed to them in France. Weishaupt himself just devoted himself to writing various screeds defending his former endeavor, no longer even pretending at secrecy. And the very fact that he could not keep his order's existence or its schemes a secret in Bavaria, whether because of a random act of God smiting someone with lightning, or because of treachery from within, serves to demonstrate that a conspiracy of such size is doomed to be revealed and not by lone theorists in manifestos. Baruel and Robeson claimed that the Illuminati had survived their exposure and suppression, but they offered no evidence. Indeed, using the telltale circular reasoning of a paranoid, they suggested that the very fact there was no evidence of the conspiracy served as evidence of its existence. And beyond this conjecture presented as fact, Baruel and Robeson also misrepresented the Illuminati's objectives and practices in numerous ways. For example, even in their secret writings, the Illuminati did not encourage the incitement of violence. They intended to surround the powerful 
with men who would guide them toward establishing a perfect world, a global community, a utopia. And they were very specific that revolutions were not to be fomented, as those simply replace one tyranny with another. They believed that wise counsel should have no recourse to violence. They did indeed seek a dramatic change in world order, abolishing property and authority, but they saw government as serving a role like that of a parent, necessary at first, but to be outgrown. In the case of humanity, they did not anticipate that these changes would happen for thousands of years, and certainly did not intend to precipitate a hasty and violent reform. Barwell would argue that the truly evil plots were not made known beyond the highest degrees. But in truth, when Baron Nig traveled among the Masonic lodges of Europe trying to grow their numbers, he readily offered the highest degrees in order to tempt Freemasons into the fold. Still, Abbe Barwell insisted there were even higher degrees than the papers and the testimonies revealed. The Magi, he called them trying to conjure images of occult evil. And it was in those degrees, he assured his readers, that the really evil stuff happened. But there is no evidence of this. All these things have been pointed out since the time Barwell's and Robeson's books were published in such authoritative refutations as Jean-Joseph Monnier's on the influence attributed to philosophers, Freemasons, and to the Illuminati on the Revolution of France. Works such as this and the continuing empirical scholarship of history that helps us understand more and more all the various contributing factors that culminated in the French Revolution are why no serious historian entertains Barwell's or Robeson's theories today and why anyone who still relies on them as an academic proof of an Illuminati conspiracy theory is an outlier, pretending at genuine historical analysis. If you challenge them on the reliability of these sources, they will likely resort to even wider conspiracy theories and suggest that historians everywhere are in on the plot to discredit Barwell and Robeson. But the fact of the matter is that Barwell and Robeson discredited themselves. As stated, Barwell was already a rabid opponent of the Philosophes, with an axe to grind, especially after the French Revolution forced him, as a clergyman, out of the country. He could not admit that the Revolution had been a genuine grassroots phenomenon, or that church and throne had done anything to precipitate it. So, a shadowy cabal of godless provocateurs was the only natural answer. And when none of the Illuminati papers revealed an atheistic tenet, he said it must have been a closely held secret atheism. And he even, according to Monnier, mistranslated a passage discussing how to appeal to initiates that were enthusiasts of the theosophy of Swedenborg and Rosicrucianism representing it instead as being about how to initiate people who suffer from, quote, the fantasy of believing in God, end quote. Monnier suggests this error is so egregious that either Barwell's grasp of German was so tenuous that we cannot trust any of his analysis of Illuminati papers, or he was translating unfaithfully and thus deceptively. 
As for Robeson, he had previously been a man of strong reputation in the scientific community. But ever since, a debilitating groin spasm had sent him into torturous isolation and drove him to abusing opium, he was known to suffer from paranoia and depression. It was in this state that he read the constant barrage of news on the French Revolution. Add to this his resentment of French thinkers like Antoine Lavoisier, who were revolutionizing Robeson's field of chemistry with notions that didn't leave much room for God, and we have another reactionary seeing plots to overturn the natural order. Being a Freemason himself and having visited continental lodges and disliked the brand of enlightenment atheism and licentious behavior he saw there, secret societies became a natural component of his theory, one that, as with Barwell, might reflect more on his own prejudices. Despite the credibility issues of these authors and their books, the Illuminati conspiracy theory of the French Revolution gained quite a bit of traction among conservatives in Britain. When one considers why this was, though, it becomes clear that they were drawn to the theory for the same reasons that Robeson and Barwell concocted it, namely that it jibed well with their prejudices and provided a simpler explanation than the messy reality. British conservatives harbored their own distaste for the philosophes of the French Academy, preferring to lionize their own homegrown philosophers like Roger Bacon, Robert Boyle, and Isaac Newton, who always kept God at the center of their philosophy. The suggestion that the Enlightenment philosophers of France were actually demoniacal agents of evil struck them as reasonable because of the disdain in which they already held them. Moreover, this view of a diabolical conspiracy to overthrow God's ordained systems of governance gave them ammunition against their own political opponents at home. Thus, when the Society of United Irishmen, inspired by revolutionary movements abroad, rose up against British rule, conservatives declared that the Illuminati had stirred up yet another club of Jacobins, this time in their own backyard. And when a group of vocal advocates for women's rights emerged under the leadership of Mary Wollstonecraft, they declared them to be quote-unquote Illuminata, or female adepts of the order, bent on seducing all British women into depravity as part of their grand conspiracy to overthrow all moral standards. In their minds, as in the minds of most conspiracy theorists, nothing ever just happens, at least not the things with which they're uncomfortable. There are no liberal or progressive tendencies People don't just stand up for their rights or for change, not even because they are inspired by others who have done the same. Instead, they must be pawns moved by the devil's own hand. There are more than a few reasons that a historian might cite to disprove the Illuminati theory of the French Revolution, 
such as all the social and cultural dominoes that fell in the decades beforehand, some of the earliest of which I discussed in my series on the old regime's response to Jansenist miracles. And if it does no good to cite the specific failures of the old regime to handle particular crises as an explanation for the grievances and motivations of revolutionaries, then there are the facts about philosophes about whom much has been written. Barwell and Robeson are poor sources of information about them. For example, many philosophes, such as Voltaire, were sympathetic to and even had close ties with the monarchy and didn't want to see them abolished. The most influential, including Voltaire and Rousseau, actually passed away years before the revolution, and numerous Enlightenment scientists, many of whom were also Freemasons, found themselves in the guillotine as well, including Robeson's hated Antoine Lavoisier. Indeed, this conspiracy theory struggles to explain why so many of the initial instigators and later influential figures in the revolution ended up themselves being victims of their own revolution, except to claim that they must have only been pawns as well, and not above the fray like the Illuminati prime movers. To many who believe theories like these, it seems a simpler explanation, and in a way it is. Some will even cite Occam's razor and claim their theory must be true because it is a simpler explanation. In truth, Occam's razor actually states that among competing hypotheses, one should err on the side of the one with the fewest assumptions. By that yardstick, grand unifying conspiracy theories like this fail miserably, yet they remain appealing. Psychologists will suggest that it is due to cognitive biases, like proportionality bias, which causes one to assume that events with massive implications and effects, like the French Revolution, must have some equally massive cause, or must have been caused purposely. Others will say that we are hardwired through adaptation for survival because of so much time spent scanning our surroundings for danger to find patterns, and so we sometimes see enemies that aren't there. Confirmation bias predisposes us to believe a theory that reinforces our existing beliefs, as we have seen was the case among British conservatives, and may also be the case among conservative conspiracy theorists in America today. In part two, we will look further into how this theory of a powerful Illuminati conspiracy reached America and changed forever our culture and politics. Thanks for listening to Historical Blindness. Special thanks go out to my partner patrons, Joe, Jacob, Robert, Diane, Marina, and Emily. Now that you've been initiated into the highest degree of our order, expect a revelation of my true intent soon. Spoiler, I just want to inform and entertain and help build critical thinking skills along the way. Some music on this episode was provided by Alex Kish. Visit alexkishmusic.com and contact him to get compositions for your own projects. Additional music from Kai Engel, 
licensed under an International Creative Commons Attribution License. Check out the show notes for a list of the tracks used. Be sure to visit patreon.com slash historicalblindness and pledge to get ad-free episodes and exclusive content. On the website, historicalblindness.com, you can find the blog posts with transcripts of the episodes and bibliographies for further reading. And you can make donations there to help support this podcast. Follow the show on social media and give it a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help me fight some one-star reviews. Until next time, when someone tells you about the quote-unquote deep state, don't just dismiss them as stupid. Talk to them about what they mean. Ask who this deep state is. Do they just mean the left or Democrats, who they think are somehow still all-powerful even when they don't hold the presidency or both houses of Congress and are swiftly being pushed off the Supreme Court bench? Or do they mean the entrenched bureaucrats and unelected career officials with whom every administration has always had to contend, regardless of political affiliation? Perhaps they'll reveal that they really mean a worldwide conspiracy akin to the Illuminati. Or even, you might find, they mean the Jews. Then you'll really know a thing or two about the person. <laughs>